We're going to continue on in our Buried series. And uh, we are getting to the, to the point this morning, as Mike's going to share, talking about Joseph and his brothers. Over to you. Thanks. Spoiler. Thanks, Tal. <laughs> Ruined my introduction. Um, before I start, fellow hay fever sufferers, give me a wave. God, it's bad, isn't it? My goodness me. Um, so if I... If it, but my eyes have been going, I've been sneezing all that. Like, isn't it weird? Flowers and grass make me cry. Okay, so there you go. Um, welcome to the club. If you're not part of it, pray for you to stay out of it. Um, probably one of the only clubs I don't want to share with other people. But, um, but yeah, there you go. So if I suddenly lose where I'm going, it's because I can't see anything. And we'll just work out what we do after that. So as Tao said, we're in our Buried series. Uh, we're halfway through. We are halfway through kind of this back part of Genesis, looking mostly at the life of Joseph. 20 years on now, so we find ourselves from the moment he's chucked in his pit by his brothers, 20 years later. And I want you to imagine your favorite episode, Netflix, show, whatever it is. I want you to imagine that this morning. And generally, they're focused around kind of one main character. You follow a story, and then every now and again, you get that one kind of weird episode where it flicks and you're following someone else for a period of time well we've kind of got to that point where it's joseph 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 little break in the middle joseph 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 and then suddenly it's like now we're gonna have a little tension on his brothers the brothers that chucked him in the pit the brothers that threw him to one side and so right in the middle of this passage for us this morning is a family feud a family issue um, I'm sure we all have them, um, some of you nudging each other. Um, some of them are big, some of them are big divides in our families, um, painful ones. Some are small, maybe fallouts between siblings or parents or both. Uh, maybe a small comment at the Christmas dinner table that, about the cooking that just explodes out of nowhere. Um, or maybe, I don't know, let me pick a random one. As a 10-year-old boy, you forget to send a thank you card to a family member and they just cut you off from presents forever. That's just an example. It could be, you know, you, you pick your own example. Uh, maybe there's something in there I need to deal with. Um, but yeah, so there you go. So there's a few family issues in here. And so I just want to help you pinpoint the moment we're at in the story. Um, remember Pharaoh's dreams, seven years of harvest, seven years of famine. We're kind of right in the middle of this seven years of famine. We've had the good years, um, and you've got people coming from all over the earth, it says in chapter 41, 57. All over the earth, people are traveling to Egypt to come and get some of their food. Um, remember back a few years ago, COVID, you get that text, Tesco's have got pasta. You're like, Tesco's have got pasta. You're like, you're off. Like, get me the car. Like, I'm gone. By the time you get there, there's like two blokes pulling over the spaghetti, and like, it's breaking in heart. Like... Imagine that moment where everyone rushes off to find it. Well, this is what Egypt is. Egypt is stocked. So people are finding out and they're traveling miles and miles and miles to come and get this food. Remember, uh, chapter 41 talks about Joseph. He gives up measuring the stuff. It's coming in by the bucket load. He's like, just chuck it in there. I can't measure it anymore. Um, and so they are stocked full up. And so that's the point we're at in this story. Famine loads of food in Egypt, and then we have this reading this morning. So let's listen to that, and then I'll jump back up and help us with it. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, 
why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, their youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, You are spies, by this you shall be tested, by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags of grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back, here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Let me pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that 
Uh, it is living and active for us that as we read it, as we study it together, we can learn from it. And I just pray as we look at this family issue um, and the things underlying, I pray help us to be open to what you're saying to us this morning. Holy Spirit, come and help us as we study together. Uh, help me to communicate clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Tracking the brothers desperate for food. That's where we're at. They've got their own young families. They're staring kind of famine straight in the face. It's like, we've got, no, we've got nothing. They're probably deciding, looking around them, going, right, who's going to eat today? Who's going to have what's left? How are we going to divvy it up? Um, you think it's bad in your household when you're divvying up the, the leftovers. Um, this is bad. This, is, this isn't leftovers. This is whatever they've actually got to survive. And so they're in this massive issue. And so Jacob, their father, says, right, I know. I've heard Egypt is flowing with food. Off you go. Just for who's going to New Day this year? Give us a wave. Look at that. Excellent. Um, New Day's in Norfolk, uh, showground. Roughly, it's about the same distance from here. From Egypt and Canaan to Egypt is roughly the same. So if I said to you, young people, right, off you go, you've got to walk to New Day this year. That's basically what Jacob has said in an instant. He's like, off you go, have a little wander, 53 hours. Um, if you were to walk to New Day, non-stop, I looked it up. Um, be way cheaper than a coach, wouldn't it? Um, but, uh, so they two and a bit days they've got of travel non-stop. So it's probably taken them four or five days with the donkeys and stopping and all that kind of stuff. Um, and for them, they've kind of assumed, and even reading in that passage, they've assumed that Joseph is probably gone from Egypt. Either sold, or maybe he's dead, maybe he's not there anymore. But they're definitely not expecting him to be in the prime minister position. Like, if, if you take a kind of survey of the, what do you think Joseph's doing now? There's zero chance that's the, what they're guessing at. Um, and so we then have... You have this moment, they're walking across, they're probably discussing this. Do you think we're going to, do you think he'd be, he won't be there? What are you chatting about? Shut up. Like they, they were having this whole argument all the way there. And then we have this kind of think back to the episodes. You've got this cut scene to Joseph. And you can picture it. Um, it helps me to visualize this stuff. Joseph is absolutely flying in his lane. Like he is, he is top dog. He is, his operation, operation of seven years of famine, seven years of heart, that is in full flow. He's dealt with the harvest, he's put it away, he's like, yeah, nailed that. The famine's happening, people are coming left, right and centre and he's making money out of it and he's doing well and he's kind of, you can imagine him kind of bouncing between the different selling stalls, making sure that everyone's on board and it's all going really well for him. He's like, yeah, God spoke through Pharaoh's dreams to me, I know what's going to happen. He's like loving life and you can imagine him kind of almost skipping between these moments thinking, I'm just having a great time, big smile on his face distant memories of the pit and the prison. He's not bothered. This is great. And then suddenly you have this moment. There's two moments of pain for us, two main areas of pain in this scripture. And the first one is right here. You can imagine him, you've got this queue of people. It's like, right, yeah, next one, money, thank you. Da, 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 looks up. And then suddenly there's his brothers in front of him. Just stood there bow down. He knows exactly who they are in that moment. Scripture, if you read it carefully, it actually says it twice. He recognized them. He recognized them. There's a key thing for him of like, there's a level of, recon of recognizing them where he's like, oh, I know these guys. Oh, I know these guys. 
And so he, he, his initial thing, he says he recognizes them and he kind of treats them as uh, spies, kind of accuses them. Then he recognizes them again as a second moment and remembers the dreams. So his instinct as a human is to go, you're spies, he has a go at them. The pain of the past comes rearing up so fast. 15 minutes ago, he was bouncing about. Suddenly it's like it's in his face. And he's, he realizes the dreams. He sees them bowing down. He's like, oh man, God must be doing something here. God is in, there's no way this happens without God. He's remembering the dreams. And so as he's working this out and he's looking at it, his human reaction is still to accuse them. It's still to the pain, the knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, this hurts, I don't know what's going on. Why are you here? You're bowing down to me. I remember this in the dream. I, I'm so, I don't know what's going on, this hurts. So his reaction just chucks him in prison. He's like, I can't deal with this anymore. Get, go, go away, get him, chucks him in prison. And then there's a really interesting moment in this scripture. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, have a look at it. Verse 17, it ends with, and he put them to, all together in custody for three days. Verse 17. Verse 18 opens like this. On the third day, I'm like, tell me what's going on in those three days. There's a gap there, and you think, what is going on? Why is it three days? For those of you who know your Bible, the Bible uses three days a lot. It's a common thread through your Bibles. It often symbolizes God breaking in in a moment. Put some examples down. You look at Abraham and Isaac. There's a three-day element to that. You look at Jonah and the, the huge fish, and he's like, there's a three-day element there. Saul went blind for three days. There's a significance, and the most... The biggest one, the biggest one for all of us, Jesus, defeating death on the third day rising again. So there's a key moment for us between two verses where nothing is written for us just to pause on and think, hold on a minute, God is breaking in. God is breaking in. And in that moment, I speculate, there's three days of Joseph dealing. He's probably put his kind of key guards off. You go deal with them quiz them, put them up against the wall, chain them up, have a chat with them, have a go at them, try and get into them while he's just trying to work out what's going on in his heart. It's three days of pain, working this stuff through with God, going, what's going on, trying to work it out. He realizes God is at work, but he cannot figure out in that period of time what's going on. He needs God to break in. The significance of those three days is not lost on us. And so you see at the end of that three days, God starts this restoration process. It starts. Doesn't, it's not finished. It's a forgiveness process that begins in that three days. You see him come out, um, or, and after those three days, he kind of gives them their food, fill up their bags with food, and give them their money back, and sends them on their way. Now, to me, three days before that, he can barely look at them in the eye. And so it's helpful for us to look at this and think there's a process of dealing with pain of the past that takes time. And I think there's a moment for us just to consider maybe some of the stuff that we are holding, um, some of the pain maybe you've buried inside of you, maybe you've kind of pushed it right down, maybe you've been wronged in some way by someone, maybe you're ashamed of it, you've hidden it, you've buried it. 
It's not, if it's not dealt with, it will rise again and it will cause pain. We see Joseph, even after all of that, you clearly see he's not finished with it because he weeps. He turns away from them and weeps. There's still a pain element for him to work through. And so we can see quite clearly that there's forgiveness as a process in this, a reconciliation that takes time. And with forgiveness, I kind of, there's two parts to it. There's the forgiveness moment, and then there's the forgiveness process. And I think we're quite good at forgiveness moments in our culture. Sorry, I forgive you. Well, not even that. Do you know, sorry, that's okay. That's okay. Like, and that's it. We move on from it. And that can be big or small. Silly, helpful example. Yesterday, messy dinner. Eli's got it all over him. I grab a big old flannel, cover it in water, and start wiping his face with my hand like this. Up, down, over his face, all around his head, everywhere. And he just, he's messing around. We're both laughing about it. And then he basically tries to stop it by biting the flannel. He's done it before. And he holds it in his mouth and he stops me from getting it. It's a bit of a game he plays. But this time, he got my finger straight in. I'm like, ah! He's, what's going on? He's like, let go! It's like, that really hurts. It's an accident. What does he say? I'm sorry. Okay. I forgive you. My goodness, this still hurts. And it's a silly example. This literally happened at the kitchen table yesterday. And it's showing, for me personally, that we can forgive someone, but the pain can continue. And I think God is saying to us this morning, what is it that you're forgiven someone for, but the pain is still real? There's good news for us. God is a healer. The same God we read about orchestrating this is the same God we come to today. The God of sovereignty, of healing, and of reconciliation. He orchestrates this moment between brothers. He brings people together. He uses us, others, to love and support each other. Is there pain in the past of bitterness and unforgiveness for you this morning? Is there something that comes straight into your head? Something maybe you've not thought about for a long time, maybe even happened yesterday. God is inviting you to begin a healing process this morning, whatever it is. He wants to write that next chapter of your story. So find someone to walk this through. We'll have an opportunity to pray together. The prayer team will be here. Um, we've got an amazing pastoral support team uh, that would love to help you if there's stuff. Find a friend, do it later today, later this week. But don't just say, oh, that was nice and leave it. Now God is literally, there's a moment here he's drawing you into to deal with some of the pain of the past. And maybe for you, that's not necessarily where you're at. Maybe there's something else going on in your heart. Maybe there's this second area of pain that we see in the brothers. They are living with guilt. Heavy weight of guilt on them. Verse 21, they, they think about Joseph. They see the distress of his soul. That's what they see. When they think of that moment, they don't think of the, yeah, he's gone. They see the distress of his soul in the pit. That's what they remember from that scenario. I'd imagine some of them see it daily. Some of them see it when they go to bed. 20 years later, they still see it. And other than Reuben at the time, 
They don't really think anything's going to come of it if they kill him. No, they don't do that. They chuck him in a pit, set him on, which is good as. But there's a moment for them. Do you remember? They see him coming far away and they start discussing what they're going to do to him. And they're like, we cannot deal with this bloke. Get rid of him. How are we going to get rid of him? And in that moment, sin and temptation creep in and begin to tell them lies that they'll be fine. There's moments for us. You can probably think of your own where you are tempted and drawn into making a bad decision because you think it's going to benefit you. Lying, stealing, gossiping, speaking harshly, thinking harshly. Someone in this room, someone at work, someone in your family. And there's a moment where you're like, do you know what? It'd be much better for me if they weren't here in that mindset. It'd be much better for me if we weren't friends. How do I get them out of this friendship group? How do I push them out? Like, and you start going down these roads in the past. Maybe this could be 20 years ago. And in that moment, the brothers, there's a key element to this. The devil is a liar. He comes in, Satan lies. It'll be much better for you if he's gone. Just rip his coat up, dip it in blood, send it back to your father. He's gone, it's done, we're good, move on. And there's this web of lies and pain and guilt and sin that kind of starts to come in and you you read it in that scripture. They are so heavy in it. And it changes you, it changes your relationships. Even Reuben and the brother, they're arguing on the way back. Like there's a huge change where once they were together and throwing him in the pit, now they're distant from each other, arguing about what's going on in the situation. Maybe for you, there's something in you that you're thinking, oh, I just wish I hadn't done that. It's live with me, it's heavy. And you see it even here, even blessings make you nervous. They get food and their money back, and they're like, uh, what is this that God has done to us? Why is he giving us good things? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to trick us for? And so you begin accepting bad things happening in your life because you don't deserve it, because of this. You're never really living in blessing. Instead, you're living in fear that what you've got is going to be taken away. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no rest. There's no sleep. Kind of, it racks your brain. And this can be something really small that probably someone who you did it to or who was involved may never even notice and doesn't really bother them. Or it can be a huge thing that you've dealt with for many years. Wherever it might be, God is calling you this morning. We see emotion and pain and struggle and anger all over this story. But that isn't all we see. If I I stop here, all I'm basically saying is, we've all messed up in some way, deal with it. But that's not what happens. There's a moment in here. The, if you study your Bible, the phrase, but God, is quite a big moment in your Bibles. I think it's 45 times there's a moment that God breaks in. You see God do something. Um, I was just thinking about that this week and thinking, but what is God doing? And that was my question. I was like, what is God doing in this passage? What is going on? I was like, but, but God in here... For me, I want to look at it and study and read about it. He's orchestrating a moment here. 20 years of guilt meets 20 years of pain heading on. It's like a juggernaut collision. It makes the whole, like, everything shake. 
there's a moment where they've all dealt with different things and then suddenly it's right there in their face. God has brought these together and you think, that is harsh. They're struggling for food. Why make them deal with this as well? Goodness me. But this action is an action of a loving father who wants to bring reconciliation and healing to a situation. It's gone on long enough. The darkness, the pain, the destruction has gone on long enough. The brothers are dealing with their sin head on. Joseph is dealing with his pain head on. And why this is kind of a tricky passage, and it's taken me some time to really get my head around it, you suddenly start to see a theme of God's grace running through the middle. Because that guilt that has racked the brothers is coming to an end. The pain that Joseph has walked through, that he thought he was over, that he's buried deep down, that probably keeps him up from time to time. Maybe he's kind of, maybe he's not in his head. Maybe he's forgotten it. Even in the previous chapter, he talks about the fact that um, God has made him forget what has happened to him, forget his father's house. So he's, he's like, I'm over this. But God in his grace knows there's more to this. He wants to bring it out to deal with it once and for all. And this was a process for Joseph. Don't, well, I don't want you to hear right now, and God can do this, but generally what God will do is it'll be a process for us. Joseph, come, Joseph sends his brothers away, they come back, then he sends them away, then they come back. Like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap here, there's a time, there's a process, there's a dealing with the situation. And in the guilt and the fear and the pain and the anguish, like I said, if we leave it there, it's not the most uplifting way to finish. The distinct lack of love and peace and joy in a family in a moment, it all comes back from the sin moments. John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. That's what he's doing. That's what's happening in that moment. The, the, the enemy, the devil, is coming to steal, kill and destroy. But the good news is, it says this, I, Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And there's no, there's no other way through this than to come to Jesus with it. That can, it. It's only through what God has done by sending Jesus as he leads us into restoration and reconciliation. The one who took our sin, took our shame, took our guilt, took our past on the cross. And Steve read an amazing thing out. This morning, there's no record. There's no record. The third day, on the third day, Jesus defeats death. On the third day, it's there for us. The sins of the world, the sins of you and me, taken away, defeated once and for all. Jesus enduring darkness to bring us into light. Jesus, death on a cross to bring us life and life abundantly. And so whatever we're walking through is not too big for him. His grace is not too small for our sin. It's the opposite. His grace is sufficient for us. It's bigger than our sin. And he goes a step further. He wants to bring us into a relationship of love, peace, and joy, and many other things. Just reading Psalm 40, and just how close this links in with what we're looking at this morning. I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me, heard my cry. What is your cry this morning? What's the, what's the cry of your soul this morning? What is the thing that's down there for you? He drew me out 
up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock. Our feet, our, our foundation is purely on Jesus. He makes our steps secure. We can be confident in him. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Where is your trust for these moments? What does it look like for you? As we come to finish together now this morning, I, I want you to take an opportunity to concentrate and focus on the one who is love, joy, and peace. It doesn't just bring it for us. That's who he is. He's wanting to bring things into light that have been buried for many, many years. That can be something, like I said, that felt small at the time and has grown. It could be something big that you need to deal with and take time and talk and pray and walk with our team here to help you. But I want you to let him draw you out of the pit this morning. While it's a process, while it can take time to deal with pain, the pain of the past, the things done to you, the guilt of the past, the things you've done, while it can take time, he's not saying, oh, deal with that first, then I'll lift you up. He's saying, no, I'm lifting you up this morning. I'm putting your feet on a rock. I'm giving you a firm foundation. I'm giving you access to me. I'm giving you love, joy, peace in this moment for your situation. Doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. Doesn't mean you're going to have moments of weeping and turning away and finding it difficult. But he's inviting you this morning to be, to be drawn out. Let him place you on a rock. Put a new song in your mouth. Lift your head for the first time maybe in a long time. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring life to your situation. He uses a famine. He uses destruction. He even death to bring fullness and to bring life to us. And in the greatest moment of that is Jesus. He uses what Jesus did for us on the cross to bring us life. He uses the pain, the anguish, and the, the, the difficulty of what Jesus went through to bring us into new relationship. He can do that for you this morning. Maybe, you're, maybe this is the first time you've even thought about some of this stuff. You don't have to jump up and respond straight away this morning. There's a time for you to do this. But I do feel God is calling a few people out this morning to say, what is it that you have buried deep? that I can bring you out of? What is it that you're wallowing in the pit of destruction where I can take you out, put your feet on a rock and give you a new song this morning? What does that look like for you? Can I ask us to stand? The band are going to come and join me. We're going to come to Jesus this morning again. We're going to come to him again in this moment, the one who knows pain and suffering, the one that can bring life to you this morning. There'll be opportunities for us to pray together. We've got some prayer team that are willing just to grab hold of you. Maybe you just want to, they've got lanyards on. Maybe you just want to turn to the person next to you and have a chat about it. Whatever it is for you this morning, please don't leave this place without starting the process. God is calling you into relationship. He's calling you out of your pain into life.
Can I pray for us? Why don't you close your eyes where you are? Just helps us to stay focused, not be distracted. Father, I thank you that you care. I thank you that in the most painful moments in our lives, you care. That you don't just leave us in the pit, but you draw us out. You don't just look at us and think, oh, there, there, you'll be fine. We're not fine by ourselves. You made a way for us through Jesus Christ. Just pray for every heart in this room this morning, whether it's something that's landed, something that's landing, or maybe they even know someone this would be helpful for. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you begin to bring a healing in this place? Would you bring a restoration to hearts? Would you help us with this process? By ourselves, it's impossible. But through you, everything is possible. I pray for the perfect peace that casts out fear to be evident with us this morning. I pray for a freedom to come to this place this morning. A freedom that in our deepest, darkest moments allows us to still give blessings, to still see your face shining upon us, to still receive the goodness, not to downcast ourselves, not to look at ourselves, but to look at you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and do that in this room right now. Just where you are, why don't you just take a second, pray for yourself. Steve and the band are going to lead us.